Greetings and welcome to this overview presentation on primary energy weather engineering. My name is Trevor James Constable and I am the engineer who designed and carried out all the weather engineering and control sequences that you are going to see on this tape. Time limitations automatically preclude my giving you any kind of comprehensive theory on how all this is done. Suffice it to say that it is achieved by manipulating the ether. Controversies about the ether have been raging for thousands of years and they're probably going to go right on. What's important to us is that what has been learned in the past 20 years by my group about technically accessing the ether should be put to work in the here now in conquering some of the Earth's intractable ecological problems. Let's leave the academicians and the theoreticians to their arguments. You come with me now to the North Pacific on board a large ocean-going vessel of the United States Merchant Marine. And out there, we'll raise rain from nothing until the point where we have rain on the camera lens. Then we'll review for you Operation Pincer 2, which brought Los Angeles its wettest July in 100 years, an operation notified and filed in advance by us with the federal government. Then we'll let you see what 30,000 square kilometers of unforecast rain looks like in Singapore in the depth of the dry season. And finally, you'll get an eye-opening view into what these methods are capable of doing in countering smog in the worst smog region on Earth at the worst time of the year. For 20 years in this work, my credo has been a simple one and it has been followed inflexibly. Only results count only results count. That's what underlies what you're going to see now. Let's get at it. The SS Maui is a large Matson container ship with 30,000 horsepower and a speed of 22 knots. These weather guns on her flying bridge are essentially juxtaposed geometric forms of various kinds, mainly cylinders and cones. These are so designed that they will interact with the ether and through this interaction produce changes in the air itself. Some of them are now no larger than the human hand. In this experiment, we arrange this device the Black Widow directly ahead of the vessel, and using vessel velocity, we begin to inject a reverse flow into an etheric flow, that is a primary flow, coming out of the west. The vessel is presently heading due west. If you'll watch carefully in this time-lapse tape, you will see that as the primary force is dammed up to the west of us, 
the atmosphere begins to bunch up as this accretion of force translates itself into the atmosphere itself. Step by step, with the aid of time-lapse, we see a sudden and increasingly massive blockage develop to the further westward progress of the primary force. The damming of this massive regional flow of primary force shows itself as a steadily densening dark line across the horizon. The atmosphere is now responding to the local damming of the etheric force. It is being backed up. It is something like an undertow at the beach. We are doing this with the Maui and her primary energy translator. Denser and denser it gets. The ether has properties of elasticity and it will only tolerate so much compression before it overwhelms the dam as it just did. So let us watch the accretion process again. The flow from the vessel goes back into the westerly flow, head on, dams it up. The atmosphere responds by concentrating. The ether is elastic, and it will only tolerate so much compression before, like a block of rubber, it springs back. There it goes. Now it's expanding past us. The very fact that with our speeding translator aboard the Maui, we were able to produce this temporary local damming has resulted in effects that have recoiled many miles back over the horizon. And these will in due course result in rain. Already there, just to the left of the jackstaff, you can see some showers falling. But this is only the beginning of a profound regional change. Everything in primary energy weather engineering depends upon the normal concepts of potential being reversed. Etheric energy flows from low potential to high. Therefore, your entire thinking must be changed if you are to do this work or to understand it fully. Now we are seeing some of the further consequences of putting our speeding translator into the primary continuum in the way that we did. After an hour, we have a very complex change right there on the windshield. An hour and six minutes and you have rain. You've seen the whole process. This in about 68 minutes to this. That first sequence dealt with the west to east primary current common to temperate latitudes. This is in the tropics, heading east out of Honolulu for California. In these latitudes, there is an east to west etheric flow, which we are now damming in the same way as we did previously, with an emission from the specially designed translator aboard the speeding Maui. As the ether builds up its potential, water vapor automatically accretes. A gross 
meteorological response to be etheric engineering. This builds to what is known in etheric engineering as the discharge point, or lumination, whereupon rain results, as you see here. This sequence has been repeated hundreds of times. It is not an accident. We have taken you in 40 minutes from a perfectly normal tropical day like this, which we began engineering. You watched, you saw it, you finished up with regional rain. It is not metaphysics, it's as real as a punch in the nose. By the end of 1988, sequences like those last two you have seen were no longer being videotaped. We had passed the point where they had any further value for us. They stand as historical and objective evidence of what can be done to raise rain in dealing with the main terrestrial flows of ether. We had passed by the end of 1988 to laying down long lines of rain within high pressure cells. These squall lines were usually remote from the vessel. They didn't come right onto the porthole like those sequences you've just seen. And they are considerably more difficult to document, to document for presentation in something like this. However, radar is of service here. And I'm going to show you some radar shots that were made at the end of November 1988 aboard the Maui in a 1029 millibar high pressure system. Here is the official U.S. Navy surface weather map for the 27th of November 1988. 4 a.m. local time, 1200 Greenwich time. There is the Maui, the red chip. As you can see, she is near the center of a 1029 millibar high right there, while voyaging from Hawaii to Oakland, following this irregular course. 1029 millibars at the center of this high, and the atmospheric circulation around it is clockwise like that. And it is 12.30 p.m. where we are right here. Let's go out on deck and take a look at the barometer as we go. There it is, 1028 millibars. Out on deck, classic Eastern Pacific high. Nothing irregular here until we come around onto the starboard side. Here we find an anomalous shower line going down our starboard side in the general direction of the center of that high. And as we pan across that shower line, coming up towards the bow, we find that the shower activity is breaking out, as it were, in a specific geometric relationship to the vessel and its course. This activity is not happenstance, it is engineering. And this accretion will stay there for hours, moving across the surface of the sea within this high pressure cell in exactly the same distance and angular orientation to the vessel. This anomalous rain line is being generated and laid down just like a smoke screen. And observation on three centimeter radar shows that at the present time, it is more than 12 miles in length. Changing the orientation 
of the translators can send this accretion or one like it down the opposite side of the vessel. We'll show you that on radar this same evening. The Maui is at the center of the screen. Her line of advance is 073 degrees on a course from Honolulu to Oakland. The gradations in the upper right corner of our picture are the gyro ring of the collision avoidance system. Each dark and each light segment of the heading flasher represents two nautical miles of over the ocean distance, and this allows you to readily estimate the extent of this enormous rain mass lying to the north of our course. This, however, is a digitalized presentation and is not completely accurate as to its extent. Everything below a certain minimum value having been dropped out. Therefore, let us increase our sense of realism by going directly to the original radar from which this picture was digitally composed. Four miles between each of those rotating rings. The scope itself is 48 miles in diameter. From this you can see very readily an original radar display that this rainy system is over 30 miles long and it is in a 1030 millibar high. The maritime methods that you have just seen in capsule form laid the basis for parallel work ashore from fixed bases. And this work has gone on since about 1968. The major goal that we pursued in California was the statistical barrier represented by the rainlessness of Los Angeles in July. We mounted a series of projects beginning in 1976 that culminated in 1986 with the smashing of that statistical barrier, a major triumph for weather engineering and one that was fully documented. This is the official map filed with NOAA in Rockville, Maryland before Pincer II commenced. The essence of the engineering is that there are two flows of primary force involved. Now this is not wind we're speaking of here, but primary force or ether. One flow comes from west to east like this across this area year-round. There is a seasonal flow that comes from south to north in the spring and summer. The art of getting rain from here to here is to wait until this flow, the west-east flow, collapses immediately subsequent to full moon. At that time, the primary energy translators, the apparatus at Hatfield Flat here in San Diego County, Desert Hot Springs, Banning, and on Point Furman, is all put into action to bring about a diversion to the northwest of this normal south-to-north current. The result is that instead of this normal flow of moisture going over into Arizona, you pull it 240 miles to the northwest and lay it into statistically rainless LA Civic Center in July.
man is given few such moments as I had, videotaping that lightning from my own operations deck on that unforgettable night during Pincer II in July of 1986. Nothing impressed me as much about Pincer II as the record, the indelible record, of the National Weather Service radar facsimile maps, which showed that the rain had come into the Los Angeles basin exactly as predicted on our engineering drawing. Along the red route, first of all, in the afternoon and early evening, and then later that night, as you have seen, right up to Point Furman and beyond, and up to Los Angeles. Let's take a look at the radar maps. The red route here into the Los Angeles Basin, the green route here into the Los Angeles Basin, for the moisture from down here. Now here's the radar reality. National Weather Service facsimile map of radar echoes recorded at 3.30 p.m. on the afternoon of Tuesday, the 22nd of July, 1986. Here is the telltale story of rain on the red route from the Gulf here up to the Los Angeles Basin. Here's our target zone right here, Los Angeles itself. Here is the red route being lined out for you with rain showers. By 4.30 it is getting to be a mess as this begins to drift over through the Banning Pass into the LA Basin. By 5.30, the fix is really in, and the moisture is on its way massively into the target zone. By 7.30 p.m., the pincer on the red route is into the Los Angeles Basin, and rain is falling. By 9.30 p.m., the green or coastal route is becoming active and rain is advancing on the target zone from the south in accordance with the pre-filed engineering drawing. By 11.30 p.m. these cells are becoming more and more intense and moving in a northerly direction. Half an hour after midnight, that is at 12.30 a.m. on the 23rd of July, the pincer is very evident there as the rain from the south moves east of Point Furman onto the target zone. By 1.30 a.m., the pincer is closed from the green route. No doubt about it. By 2.30 a.m., the Los Angeles Civic Center rain gauge is covered right there. Still at 3.30 a.m., the target zone and the environs uh, well covered, and a major statistical victory has been recorded. When all the statistical dust had settled, Los Angeles had received its wettest July in 100 years. 72 out of 100 official observation stations in Southern California had recorded rain in July 1986. The way was open to more adventures in primary energy weather engineering, and a notable one between Pincer and today was rain engineering in the dry season in Singapore.
ever thinks of Singapore as being a place that needs rain. They're right on the equator, one degree north, and they have over 80 inches of rainfall a year. Why would they need rain? Well, they have better than two and a half million people on that small island, and they still have a three months dry season, a period of greatly diminished rainfall that the government has trouble bridging. Operation Tango was an experiment to establish the degree to which modern primary energy weather engineering methods could relieve this situation and change the dry season into a season where, with the use of these techniques, you could have just about all the rainfall you wanted all year round. I'll let the videotapes and the radar fax maps tell the story. We will describe Tango with the aid of these meteorological service maps from Singapore, which have 50 kilometers between the rings. Singapore Island is the green area here at the tip of the Malay Peninsula. Here are the islands of Indonesia here, the Malacca Strait here. The center of our map here, where these axes intersect, is the Changi International Airport site of the radar installation. Our planned starting point is due south of Changi, and we proceed due west in a brewing pass, passing south of Singapore City, on over to where the red chip is, where we execute our tango technique. This is intended to inflate and divert a disturbance already present from the previous night's operations northwest of Singapore and bring it over the scene like that. There's our route. At 10 a.m., there is the rain mass raised overnight by our operations. Let's watch it. By 11 a.m., the boat is now due south of Singapore City, and the rain mass has begun to swell in response to the westerly passage of the spinning translator on the boat. By noon, the boat is almost in position to begin the tango technique, and the rain mass has become, begun to really swell here and dominate the scene. The 9 km indication is that lightning was seen in this direction. By 1 p.m., the tango technique is complete. The rain mass has been grossly inflated and spun south of that east-west axis line. The front of that rain mass is now more than 200 kilometers across, 
And from the boat, we'll give you a look at what 30,000 square kilometers of rain looks like close up. the island of Singapore and most of southern Malaysia has been simply engulfed by this rain mass. The system maintains its size and density on through 3 p.m. on the 26th of July. These are official maps. By 4 p.m. all of southern Malaysia is enveloped in this massive unforecast system. 50 kilometers between the rings, as we told you initially. And there you have 200 kilometers. The engineering of rain is always an exciting business thrilling, personally fulfilling, after learning to do it over a period of 20 years. There is always a concomitant benefit to rain engineering, and that is cleaning up the atmosphere. Special variants of these weather engineering devices were developed in 1987 that were incorporated in a project in July of 1987 exclusively intended to test these implosive vertically operating units. These are typical Apache type units used in Victor. The filing for Victor with the federal government called for an operational period 2-7 June through 05 August. And in the addendum, two particular items of anticipated effects are worth noting. Frequent and substantial reductions, contra forecast of LA basin temperatures, and frequent generation of offshore Catalina Eddy activity materially influencing both weather and forecasts. These two items were to come true in spades. In July of 1987, Southern California had its cleanest air in more than 30 years. Everybody concerned with smog, right down to the ordinary citizen that has to inhale it, was utterly astonished by the weather conditions that settled into the Los Angeles basin and stayed there throughout the month. The records are all there if you want to study them in terms of mathematics. What is more important in a presentation of this kind is to get something of the flavor of the chaos that reigned in TV newsrooms amongst weathermen and others as the good weather went on and on in a month that traditionally produces 
terrible suffering for hundreds of thousands of Californians. Let's take a look at some of those highly informative clips that will tell you exactly what happened when our two translators went into action at Desert Hot Springs on the desert and out at San Pedro on the coast. Rain that we had this morning, that was not rain. Give you another advantage to this weather. Air quality, beautiful, no pollution. Comes with the weather, wait till next week. All right, now at 72 in 1926, uh, we tied it for the coldest afternoon temperatures. My quality. Well, how about a first, second, or third stage? Not today, not with this. Describe the weather we're having now. One word. Wet. Gray. Damp, gray, yeah. anemic. There's a good word. That's a good word for what happened today. Yes, kind of crummy. How about crummy? Well, crummy. Now, that's the word I was fishing for. You really yeah, we've had drizzle out there. We have had a little bit of wind. We've been hearing thunder all around, at least yeah. at least that. That's yeah. strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Yeah, yeah hey, she heard hey. that. Okay, that's two of us. That's an eyewitness. <laughs> and uh, again, uh, we did not get any clearing today. The temperatures have not warmed up. It didn't cool off that much. And, and we've had drizzle and uh, thunder showers out in the desert. So, indeed. It's good. The air quality is good in all areas and should remain so until we find summer again lurking around someplace out there. It's been seen in Southern California th this century. <laughs> we, have, really? we have a January, January cutoff low over, over us. The jet stream right now is coming in over Palos Verdes. Never happens. Never happens in, in July. We've got wintertime weather. And I, I, let's get right on over here. Temp this is supposedly a picture of the jet stream. Actually, it's just a flow pattern. It's my 500 millibar motivated. The jet pattern comes down like this. And ah, now you can see it over here this way much better. This is the jet stream right down here underneath these clouds. Actually, this is a picture of humidity. It comes down like this, and here we are. Here we are in uh, Southern California. There's Palos Verdes. Well, it's actually going over a fountain valley at the moment. That's the jet stream, and it curls around and up here. There is the storm just south of Medford, Oregon at the moment. Now, what we expect this thing to do, instead of digging any further, it's still digging a little bit now, is that it will start going around like this. That's low center, and even by next Wednesday, that should be out there. Oh, this, we've seen pictures like this before. Look at the, um, the marine layer in there. You want to know something interesting about that marine layer? 7,000 feet thick today. 7,000. Normal for July is 1,500. Seven, that is so high that they had drizzle this morning on the top of, of Mount Wilson. You don't catch things like, and these, notice that pattern? That's a cloud pattern of cold weather just like January. Okay, downtown looked great today. Visibility is not the problem, either is the air quality. However, we're 10 degrees below normal in the temperature department, a high of 73 and a low of 60. This one, the absolute coldest temperature in California this morning was 23 degrees in Truckee, California. That's Ooh. cold. Yeah, I checked the, the ski report, July? but nobody's open. <laughs> <laughs> the California natives here, we can't recall it ever going this long into July with this bad of weather. Yeah, it was. Up some rather high clouds in a lot of areas, especially in the San Gabriel Valley. Picked up some rain this afternoon. As you take a look at downtown Los Angeles uh, about an hour or so ago from our Channel 2 weather cam, let me tell all you folks at Riverside, 
that you broke a record today. Yeah, your high temperature was only 74, and you have always been warmer than that on the 20th of July. So Quarter of an inch, westward 15 hundredths of an inch. Anything would be a record because we've never had any, have It's we? incredible, and not for many, many years. Uh, nine degrees below normal for this time. It's like February weather. All right, let's show them what the air quality is. It is good in all areas. As the temperatures start warming up, we will get back up to first stage, but it's nice out there, so go out and breathe early and often. Yeah, I, there are people who complain saying that it's too cold. They, these are the people who work in air-conditioned offices all day and come home to an air-conditioned house at night. But there are a lot of people who don't have either, and boy, they appreciate it. Quality, delightful, oh boy, oh, it certainly is, all up and down. You ask, well, he answered with, mostly good, moderate out in the valley areas, but nothing like first or second stage smog alerts. And be flirting with first stage alerts, though, in the San Gabriel Valley and also out of Riverside. So we had, we've had really, really super air quality here in Los Angeles yeah. uh, for this summer. But uh, the experts gotta, had to leave. We didn't have enough smog. That's right. They were here this week, and they, they said, we have no smog to study, so we'll go home. I don't know. Air quality, dandy. All right, you can't say any more about that. Jerry had a story earlier about people who came out here to study smog this, this summer. Didn't, didn't find any. Now, yes? Those people who came to Southern California in that memorable summer of 1987 were scientists. 200 of them were brought here by the Air Resources Board from all over America and from many overseas countries as well. These scientists were organized into some 50 teams and strategically sited throughout Southern California for the most ambitious smog study project in history. Unfortunately for that official project, our Operation Victor, a pilot project, started at the same time and by the end of the third week in July, the air in Southern California was so clean that it deprived the visiting scientists of the statistical opportunity to gather valid samples. And so, they were sent home. Without malefic intent, I repeat, without malefic intent, our project, with a $5,000 budget, had put out of action the State Air Resources Board project, which finished up costing the California taxpayer more than $10 million. You see, after Project Victor finished its main phase in August, the smog became terrible again, and they brought the scientists back. So the final bill was over $10 million. Suddenly getting the cleanest air in 30 years sort of threw a monkey wrench into the smog bureaucracy and its ways of thinking and doing things. The whole happening was palmed off as a meteorological fluke. That's the way that it went into the records, a meteorological fluke. And you would not be a person of common sense if you didn't say, Constable, 
You just got lucky in 1987. It was a meteorological fluke. And what happened in 1988? A good question. In 1988, we did nothing in Southern California, nothing at all. And they racked up the second worst smog season in the entire decade of the 1980s. Now that is correlation number two. 1989, we entered the smog wars again with a special nexus of events surrounding the whole happening. Pursuant to that terrible smog year of 1988, the smog bureaucracy had drawn up a battery of draconian restrictions that they are now in the process of imposing on Southern California people, business, and industry. So that's the format in which we filed Operation Breakthrough in July of 1989 and Operation Checker to run through September and October during the 1989 smog season. In a reprise, with a great improvement, the phantoms of 1987 rose again as Southern California experienced its all-time record low year for smog in 1989, with us operating for three of the six months. Those are the statistical facts, and they are a matter of record. On Friday, 3 November 1989, Right after the official number crunchers had finished with the 1989 smog statistics, Maria Cohn of the Orange County Register wrote this story about just how good things were in Los Angeles in 1989. The smog season ended, she said, with Southern California residents breathing the cleanest air in at least 40 years. And over on that right-hand column, you'll see an account of how much better things were in all the traditionally smog-laden communities. To wrap it up, Maria Cohn cites Joe Casmassi, chief meteorologist for the smog people, who simply calls it the best year we've ever seen. There you have three correlations between our activities and the state of Southern California smog. Would you like to try for four? Here for the record is the official federal filing for Operation Clincher. Note that the purpose of the project or activity on this government form is laid out there. Record seasonal reduction of smog 1990 Southern California. There are the dates on the federal form. Preparatory in April, official start May 1, and termination will be on the 31st of October 1990, the full smog season. Filed in advance as required by law on the 6th of April 1990, and signed by yours truly. No saying that we did it after the event. So that 
is the status in 1990. We're moving on now through June as this is recorded and you are going to be able to judge for yourself whether or not clincher clinches the question of our influence. And this is an historic operation in more ways than one. Should clincher succeed in the fashion that I fully expect, Southern California is going to have the type of air, the quality of air, that it expects to have by the year 2000 if everything goes well using orthodox methods and God knows how many billions of dollars. You can have it right now in 1990. This is all being done, ladies and gentlemen, with an environmentally pure method that doesn't put any electromagnetic radiation into the atmosphere or use chemicals in any form whatsoever. It is environmentally pure. Furthermore, people don't have to worry about being harassed and hectored and hampered by regulations and rules. There is another way to clean up this air, and it's here now. You do not have to wait until you are old and bent and broken for that. We fully expect that Southern California business and industry will support and sustain the Atmos Group in cleansing the Southern California environment. If that does not happen, the Atmos Group will participate no further in cleaning the Southern California air. There will be no more clean air from us for free. Wherever you are, when you see this tape. You're involved in the whole question of air pollution. Because if we don't clean it up by a method like this, you are going to be one of those who pays to try and clean it up by bankrupt, out-of-date methods. Please, ladies and gentlemen, remember our credo. Only results count. Let's give these methods a real chance to help mankind.
It is now November of 1990. Operation Clincher is history. Time for an epilogue. Let's take a few minutes now and review just what happened to all those grandiose expectations recorded on this same tape back in June of 1990. Let's see what happened in the real world. Where else to find out the facts but in that bastion of truth and accuracy, the Los Angeles Times. There it is, the 1st of November, 1990, and the smog season for 1990 is over. Time for the Times to tell us what happened. Hmm. The cleanest air on record. Boy, how we worked for those few words. Marla Cohn, in her article, tells it all. The cleanest air on record. Now, Joe Casmassi, the senior meteorologist for the smog people, calls it mind-boggling. It's like night and day, he says. There's been a dramatic improvement. He was told before we started. There it is, a 24% reduction in the number of alert days. Even more important, a 60% decline in the duration of the alerts. Never has such inroads been made on smog. Never. The men who worked with me in putting Clincher together and making it a success were especially gratified by the regional health benefits. Smog physician Phelan says that everybody living in the region had a health benefit from the reduced smog. Now that rapid overview provided by the Los Angeles Times gives you a good idea of what happened in a sketchy way. To sum up, in 1990, Southern California smog took the worst knock that it ever has since the smog records were instituted. The term alert days by which each smog season is compared with other smog seasons is basically a statistical abstraction. Certainly, we won the alert days battle, but the bigger victory lay in the real world happenings, things that are actually quantified. Let's take a look now at a list of the number of actual alerts in the various districts. This list was published also by the Los Angeles Times. Let's take a look at it because it's very enlightening as to what really happened. The red handwritten figures give the percentage reduction under 1989. Ladies and gentlemen, those are tremendous drops in the actual numbers of smog alerts. 
a lot of those communities previously troubled had 100% drops. Many of them were zero alerts for the whole season. San Bernardino down 68%, a real trouble spot. And now we have a graph of our three interventions in Southern California smog. Three years, 1987, 89, and 90, with a stand down control year in 1988. Now let's take a look at this. Smog season years across the bottom, and the vertical uh, axis is alert days per season. Starting in 1986, there, 1986, there was a drop, a record drop to an all-time low, our Operation Victor. The following year, 1988, when we got right out, there was a rise back to a more or less normal smog level, followed by a drop in 1989. Two projects, three months, almost a 30% drop. And this was followed in 1990 by an almost incredible further 24% drop to the all-time record low there. There is the totality of our intervention, a signature. Ladies and gentlemen, by the end of the smog season in 1991, which will be here before we know it, the smog bureaucracy will have good factual cause to regret ever having tried to claim credit for the 1990 victory over smog in all its comprehensive completeness. You see, in 1991, the Atmos Group stays out. We will not participate in Southern California smog in 1991. The smog bureaucracy and those tough regulations that they presently attribute the victory to are going to have a clear field. Furthermore, they have walked into a sort of trap of their own making. There will be more regulations in force by the time the smog season opens in 1991. More regulations. That means that if the regulations are doing it, they have no excuse for not bringing about a further reduction in smog next year. We'll see. We'll see who's right. This is the Black Widow, a basic projector of etheric force consisting of a PVC tube with associated lined cone. Here is another version of it. The cone and the tube are geometrically related to each other.
All of these devices are basically projectors of etheric force. Even a simple cone like this is a projector of etheric force. These bazookas do not use cones, but employ layering. There is no electromagnetic radiation, no chemicals, no external energy source. This is the termite. We call it that because as the ship moves and this rotates, it literally bores into the ether, setting up etheric vortices. You're going to see these. Termites come in different sizes. This is a termite 135. Also a vortex generator. This is a small one about the size of a coffee cup, the 4x4. This is the Box Apache, a basic and simple generator of vertical etheric vortices. Such an arrangement stirs vertical ether currents into vortices, and these translate into rain. This is the brainchild of Erwin Trent, my oldest and closest associate. We call it the skimmer. It's simpler than the simplest transistor radio but it will make rain in high pressure. You'll see this. Here are a couple of skimmers in a spider-type arrangement. This also raises hob in the atmosphere. No chemicals, no electricity, ever. Some of them are pretty small, as you can see from my hand. We call this one the Matterhorn. There's a couple of very precisely tuned chambers there. But once again, no chemicals and no electricity, just the power required to rotate this thing. This is a Mark 10 spider. It is an effective generator of etheric vortices and it is perfectly capable of surrounding a moving ship with rain even when the barometer is high. There are many variants of the spider. Here is a Mark II spider working, believe it or not, six decks down inside the Maui's hull and below the waterline. If you happen to be a physics professor, this is going to boggle your mind. Here is a similar spider working on the flying bridge in the horizontal mode. With these devices, the idea is to cater to the ether's tendency to move in the form of vortices. There are dozens of variants for generating these vortices, and they are all descended from the original devices, the projectors, that we're going to show you first. In the earlier teachings of Dr. Rudolf Steiner, this energy form is called the chemical ether. Dr. Reich demonstrated the existence of this orgon energy, or primary energy, or chemical ether, visually 
with the organoscope, an instrument that he designed, thermically with calibrated thermometers, with the electroscope, and with the Geiger-Muller counter. That was all done in his lifetime. In more recent years, Dr. Walter Stark, a Swiss physicist, developed a special device, a digital instrument called the organotester that provides a continuous digital readout of the activity of this free primary energy. When the responding ether locks itself into a pattern that is due to the equipment upon the traveling ship. That pattern of gross meteorological effects occurs regardless of the existing surface weather. The best aid we have in establishing that this happens is, of course, radar. Let's take a look at an example of this kind of thing. This is a photograph of the collision avoidance system of the SS Maui, taken on the 30th of April, 89. Now, the collision avoidance system gets its information from the Maui's radar. So everything you see here has been derived from the Maui's three centimeter radar. This red dot here, which I have stuck on the photograph, that represents the Maui. That's her at the center of the screen, that red chip. This dotted line here is her course line from Honolulu to San Francisco. This circle represents the ocean area around the Maui with a radius of 24 miles. So this circle actually has a diameter of 48 miles. An important clue here to what is going on is this sea clutter out in this direction from the Maui. That is caused by the vessel's headwind coming in on this bearing. Any experienced deck officer in the merchant marine, any experienced naval officer will tell you that this sea clutter gives you a clue to the existence of about a 20-knot wind coming in in this direction. So the Maui actually has a good stiff breeze going this way, and she is herself going this way at 20 knots or better. Look at this rain formation here extending up here like this at right angles to our course. A considerable amount of moisture Millions and millions of tons of water are coming down out of this as we go. But we did not leave this barrier behind. We towed this barrier with us across the Pacific for at least 80 miles that evening before it began to dissipate after midnight when there is a definite change in the etheric forces going on. This is typical of the practical objective guidance given to our work at sea through the modern miracle of radar. Radar does not lie. These official ship's thermometers 
show us that we have a one degree differential between the wet and dry bulb readings and that therefore the local atmosphere is not saturated. And over on the barometer, 1021 millibars. And over here, to the south and the southwest, high pressure or no high pressure, you have rain and plenty of it. I wonder how it came about. Here is the culprit set squarely against the background of his effects. Rotating at approximately 2 RPM and aided by a similar termite on the other side of the ship. We're in the perpendicular mode. We are eastbound. We've just come out of Honolulu. There is a lot of moisture in the air. And our geometric guns are in the perpendicular mode. 